1: It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Our guest today is Dr. Stuart Dessen. He works with leaders to implement change by putting the right people into the right roles at the right time. He collaborates globally with like-minded people to help organizations become more inclusive and democratic. To do this, he has developed a wide range of innovative learning resources, including the renowned personality model, Lumina Spark, which we're going to talk about today. Stewart is a highly experienced trainer and consultant and a leading expert in psychometrics, the science of measuring mental capacities and processes. His approach to business is a blend of the analytical and the humanistic. He has a PhD in psychometrics in which he operationalized an innovative method for minimizing the bias often present in many popular personality models. He also possesses a master's degree in operational research, as well as a second master's in change agency from the University of Surrey. He is the CEO of international selection and development company Lumina Learning and is a global thought leader with the Internal Consulting Group. Welcome, Dr. Stewart. Thank you so much, Mark, for your kind words. We've got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, indeed. As the world is approaching full employment with the improvement of the economic condition of the planet more and more people have jobs therefore all the good people are employed (laughs) as an executive needs to scale up their organization in response to the demands of the marketplace how are we going to find good people to sustainably and scalably grow the business
2: the challenge is of course to find the right people with the best fit for the role the second challenge is then to develop them to keep them, to motivate them and inspire them. From my perspective, Lumina Learning, with our psychometrics, such as uh, Lumina Spark, there's a few key things we can do. Firstly, we can look to measure people as they really, really are and take some of the biases out that are present in other measures. So if we want to recruit the top people, we don't want to have an instrument that favours people of a certain type, which I'm here to tell you many things around in the market do. You'll typically find that there is a bias in favor of recruiting people who are slightly more extroverted and against people who are slightly more introverted. Or you might find a bias in some instruments towards people who are very confident and emotionally calm and away way for people that are higher on their emotions and so on. So one of the key things here is to look in a very unbiased way at everybody's strengths, whatever their way of being, and see scientifically how that correlates with performance at work so we take a very objective look at all the different roles and don't make any assumptions around any of these biases that's at the heart of the lumina
1: spark model i think that's a really interesting idea let's find out who they really are and then put them in the right position and when you do that the work just naturally flows in a positive sense
2: if who people are underneath is quite aligned with the roles that they aspire to and we get them in the right roles. They're much, much more likely to perform well, experience less stress, and they're more likely to stay in the role and perform well. And as you said, in a climate where the economy is sort of firing on all cylinders, it's really critical that you get the best people in and keep them and develop them and grow them. And so the second part after recruitment is, how do you develop people in a way that truly values them there's lots of research that suggests that people who are developed, people who are valued, are much more likely to be engaged, and engaged people perform better and are more likely to stay in their roles.
1: It's interesting that you so, point out that they have less stress when they're in the right job, and it seems to me is that stress is created when a person doesn't feel like they have control of their environment or control of their personality. And if they have to come in and be Dr. Jekyll, then go home and be Mr. Hyde and you can put them in the right role, it's gonna make all the difference in the world as far as the level of stress in the organization.
2: We have uh, terminology for that. So to go from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, we call that going from who you are underneath, call it your underlying persona, which is sort of how you enjoy behaving, how you prefer to behave, into your everyday persona, that is how you are actually seen at work. And we often tune up and tune down things at work. The Mr. Hyde bit comes when you move into what we call the overextended. So if we're in roles that don't suit us for too long, we can become triggered by things. We're more likely to have a shorter fuse and we're more likely to overplay our strengths, which will be seen by other people as sort of overextensions and stress responses.
1: I will bet that our listener right now has somebody in mind based on the description you just delivered. Of course, Mm. we have a lot of people that are in the wrong roles and have been there too long, and they're actually creating toxic pockets within the organization. Have you seen things like this in your work?
2: Absolutely, for sure. Part of that can be about who people are and their personalities. And if we're in an environment for too long where we're continually being triggered and continually overextending, then we're going to risk becoming toxic when we're going to risk burning out. That's what happens when these things are not paid attention to. A related concept to that is looking at how suited we are to a particular culture. My definition of a good leader, based on the work of Edgar Schein, is it's someone who can read the market and see what culture an organization needs, but then they're skilled in shaping that culture. And that includes bringing the right people in who are aligned with the culture that you're looking for and building it over time. So there's an interesting link between who people are and the culture we want to create.
1: It's interesting that you brought culture up. In my experience, Culture is the primary element that creates a successful organization or causes an organization to fail. We've seen this over and over again. Along those same lines, culture is not set by the HR department. It's set by the top executive. This becomes an important component about the scaling of an organization and actually how we manage execution risk as organizations grow, where the top officer, the chief of the organization, has to grab control of the reins of the culture And then make sure, as you've pointed out, the right people are in the right roles within that culture.
2: Well, Mark, you're absolutely right. If we leave the culture to the domain of the HR guys, we know that we'll come up with something that may be theoretically good. But if it's not embraced and role modeled by the people at the top in the C-suite, then the culture is not going to happen. So you're right. It's the responsibility of top leadership to figure out what the culture needs to be and then to embody it and to role model it and so on. Now, it is important in doing that that we understand and quantify what is the culture we're looking for. And think about that in terms of our own personal qualities and leadership style as well. So you can't create a culture that's radically out of line with the uh, leadership qualities of the top people in the organization because people will see through it.
1: Today, authenticity creates extraordinary presence and is sought out by people who are looking for culture. Specifically in the world of the millennials. Millennials, if they are not able to be who they are at work, they go. And so if they can't find a culture that they can align with, they don't even say yes. And since millennials will be half the workforce over in the next 24 months, really criti- important. Yeah, this becomes critical to execution within an organization. How do you see the millennial culture shift impacting organizations?
2: You are right. There's an increased focus on authenticity at work that maybe wasn't there anywhere near to the same extent 30 years ago. And, of course, as we've just discussed, that impacts the culture. If leaders are not authentically leading, we won't get the culture we want. But talking about millennials, too, they want to feel able to express who they are at work Authentically, if I could link that back to psychometrics and the science of measuring who we are, it is possible to measure our underlying instinctive preferences, how we like to behave, and contrast that with measures of how others actually see us behaving and look at that as a dynamic. Because when you describe millennials striving for authenticity, that doesn't mean they're always one thing. Different things will trigger different people. We could tune up our toughness, our directness. We could tune up our collaborative spirit. Different situations will cause us to shift from sort of who we are underneath to how we behave when we're in teams. And having a good metric and a really interesting report for understanding that is vital to helping people be authentic. You sometimes find that younger people haven't yet got enough self-knowledge to fully embrace their authenticity. So part of it can be helping them explore who they are, their strengths, their challenges, their blind spots, and what triggers them under pressure, so that their sort of authenticity can unfold over a period of time.
1: We need to also call out the fact that authenticity doesn't mean do anything you want. It means being the most resourceful potent, capable human being that you can be.
2: Well, indeed, one of the worst things a leader can do, and I've seen this many times, is interpret authenticity to mean I speak my mind, I say what I want, I am who I am and what the hell. From an engagement point of view, if you want your millennials engaged, fired up and motivated, the worst management style is someone that's overconfident, somewhat critical, a little bit volatile. That's something that, again, we can quantify to help senior leaders figure out who they want in their team in the first place. If you're looking for an inspired, engaged culture, if you're looking to create authenticity in the organization, there's a certain sort of leader that you need to recruit in and develop, and there are certain things to watch out for.
1: Indeed. I think that we have a listener right now thinking, yeah, sure, Dr. Stewart. Yeah, Um, yeah, we're going to let these millennials do anything that they want. We're going to let them become authentic. Yeah, I don't think so. But the reality is that if you want to have workers coming into your organization to actually grow your organization, you're going to have to adjust your leadership style. In my experience, a lot of the leaders from 30 years ago operated on a militaristic strategy of leadership, which is I'm the boss, you do what I say, which works barely with people who have conscripted themselves to the government. We've got millennials that are fully at liberty. They can do anything they want, anywhere they want. And so we have to shift our approach to this, the culture to this, to help people be their best in the organization. You've been doing this for quite a while. What's been your journey from this military-style leadership to this more Let's figure out the culture that's going to be most effective, given the people we have available. Well, at a personal level, I've seen
2: it in my own career. Way back when I had uh, a full head of hair in the 1980s, (laughs) the first organization, I joined a pension fund and then later joined uh, British Airways. The style was more command and control. And the metaphors were often military metaphors, fighting them in the ditches and so on. And that, of course, has dramatically changed over the last 20, 30 years. A good friend of mine became a director and was appointed in his nice new office. But someone came along in week two and ripped up his carpets because they said it was too thick for his level of directorship. And uh, they ripped up his carpet and put another one in. That would be an example of command and control gone berserk, trying to reinforce the hierarchy. And if you link that to sort of psychometrics as well, people used to want to be a type. They used to want to know who they were and then be rigid and stick with it. we even got people putting their personality types on the door. The modern equivalent is going beyond figuring out that you need one type to do a role, but realising, as I think you know, many millennials do, that we are a dynamic and that we change in different circumstances. That is actually part of our authenticity. So leaders need to be much more adaptable and flexible than they used to. So for example, does a leader need to lead with head? Do they need to lead with heart? We might call that in literature being agreeable. We might call it being disagreeable or tough. But actually, the truth is leaders need to be both. There's a time for empathy and there's a time for logic. And one definition of an emotionally intelligent leader is someone that can read the situation and know when which is appropriate, rather than just sticking with what you know.
1: Right on. I think that's a really important point that our listener needs to nail down. It's not one or the other, it's the and and it's your capacity to choose the right mode in the right moment that makes you a great leader.
2: And to realize, of course, that at times we're a paradox. So in the old days, we used to want to oversimplify people. Mm-hmm. We used to say, well, that person's a creative, that person's good for execution, that person's peopley, and so on. <laughs> But what we know now is that uh, people are much more sophisticated and that we can have seemingly different things in it. For myself, there are times I can be hugely collaborative and there are other times I can be quite the opposite and want to think it through and be quite independent, which is best. Of course, it depends on the context. Context is key and you need to be able to read the context and then you need to be able to skill to tune up and tune down. So that's sort of practical emotional intelligence in action. And we know that if we do that, we tend to get more out of our staff. We tend to have more engaged employees and we know that we'll have higher levels of performance. So in some ways, it's not simple. At least it's not simple to state it's
1: a little bit harder to do. Indeed. But then again, humans are complex creatures with this amazing chemical cocktail of emotions and physical aspects and needs. It's not easy to run a business that Uses humans to get the job done.
2: Which is why, from my perspective, I like to bring the lens of looking at who are people underneath, really getting to know who they are instinctively, and then contrasting that with how they need to behave in order to get the job done so they can express their emotional intelligence and tune up and tune down, but not assuming everybody's perfect. People will be triggered. Part of the human condition is that we will get stressed. So it's working with that and figuring out when things happen, how can I bounce back quickly? How can I get back into a really positive space and be more effective?
1: Well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs rules every human being, and we go through cycles every day of our life and every part of our life. And we have to figure out where we are our best and when we can contribute and when we need to just back off and rest.
2: You mentioned earlier about the millennials. It could be they're getting to the peak of Maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, somewhat earlier <laughs> Indeed. Than, uh, than we In used fact, to 30, 40 years ago.
1: Stuart, you and I raised children where we made sure they reached the peak of Maslow's early in their life. Yeah. We did And so we now
2: need to embrace that. We now need to work with that in the, the workforce. Right on.
1: I think that's a really interesting insight. Really well done. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the internal consulting group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. Tell me a little more about Luminous Spark and the capacity to help us sort out this tangled web that we've been discussing.
2: Luminous Spark is a psychometric framework. It helps us measure people as they really are. It takes out the bias. So it doesn't overvalue extroverts over introverts or very disciplined people over very inspired people. It frames everything in an equally constructive way, but it doesn't have rose tinted spectacles. Of course, we can all overplay our strengths and overdo it. If I'm introverted, I can become too shy. If I'm overly extroverted, I can become dominant. So it's an extremely balanced and bias-free way of looking at who we are. How's that helpful? We've covered one aspect of it, which is part of our emotional intelligence, is sort of tuning up and tuning down these different qualities dependent on the context rather than just getting attached to this is me and that's my lot. The second thing to do is to read what's required in a particular role. If we can properly understand roles in teams, we can then go out and recruit against an accurate and realistic bias-free profile of what's needed. And in my experience, most teams will actually produce quite a balance. So the biggest mistake without using something like Lumina Spark is for people to recruit in their own image, totally trust their instincts, and essentially over a number of years create an unbalanced team. There's a balance between the big picture thinkers and the sensible people are more down to earth. There's a balance between people that are very focused on the outcome and those that are very focused on the people. And there's a balance between being disciplined and ordered and being inspired and seemingly random, but quite
1: disruptive. So well, let's put another overlay on top of this. Not only do you need to have this balance within your organization, but your customers represent that same spectrum of personalities. So if you have a single type as customer facing you're going to drive away a substantial portion of your market because they don't see that as an identity match. So we must have this balance in customer facing if we're going to capture all the customers.
2: There's two really smart things you can do in customer facing roles. And the first is exactly what you've described. You have a balance of different people in your customer facing roles. But here's the smart thing. Why not profile your customers, your stakeholders, and figure out who they are, about their personas and their qualities, and then match the people in your customer-orientated team to the key stakeholders, they'll have more rapport, more quickly, and you'll tend to get a better performance. That's the first key thing you can do with this knowledge. The second thing is the obvious thing of no matter who I am, I can still speed read my customers are my stakeholders. There's no excuse saying, well, actually, I've just bumped into a stakeholder who's very different to me, so it won't work. Not at all. You can read them. You can figure them. So we tune up, we tune down. We need to communicate in a way that works for other people. Right on. And that's also part of the science of luminous Spark.
1: Indeed. This becomes a power tool in a company's ability to maximize their market potential as well as their execution team, substantially increasing the value across the organization.
2: And you're doing that through the glue that holds the organization together, which is the relationships. If everyone in your organization has the ability to know themselves, if they can speed read other people, suss them out quickly, they've got a lens for that and they know how to do this tuning up and tuning down, you'll find your teams will naturally become high-performing teams. A big block to high-performing teams is when people can't do that. They don't have the technology, they don't know about it.
1: And um, you've just created a competitive advantage that is undetectable by your competitors.
2: Yeah, from the outside, the thing about ways of being, the things about all the traits we're talking about, the thing about speed reading, it's sort of invisible. It's conceptual, but it's very, very trainable. So training your people to speed read and to value others is critical.
1: And your customers will just feel like, you get me better than the alternatives. So it's even invisible to the customer.
2: You're sure right. They'll just feel acknowledged. They'll feel connected with. They'll feel heard. And they won't even know why. That's right. I I have a colleague that went in to do some consultancy for an organization. And the top person from a top business school was in first to try and win this business. They threw everything at it with all their intellect, and my colleague went in (laughs) using these techniques of speed reading, building rapport, connecting with people, and they won it hands down. And the client didn't even know why. This person that on paper should have been better, they didn't win because they didn't connect. They didn't have the emotional intelligence to do that.
1: A great example. I see it all the time in my industry as well. What's the process one goes through to bring the Luminous Spark technology into their organization? So they can speed read their people and they can speed read their clients.
2: There's two key contexts in which it's used. The first one is when we want to recruit people. And the second one is when we're developing people. And of course, they're not really separate processes. We want to go from one to another seamlessly. So the recruitment process is really one of firstly understanding what are we recruiting into. You need to know the role that you're recruiting into. So we've got methods and tools and instruments for scientifically Doing that. And then the next thing to do is to map that against a real unbiased measure of your personality and your emotional intelligence. The best way to do that is to gather data to be evidence based and find out in your organization who is doing the role well and who's doing it less well and study that data. So once you've got a good scientific understanding of what you want to recruit into, it's then a matter of people completing an appropriate set of questionnaires and undertaking the mapping between the two and using that to support an interactive quality recruitment process. So it's not an in-out thing, it's a matter of having a dialogue through a selection process to make sure you get the right people and you can probe around their strengths, their challenges, and of course, how they might overextend and respond to pressure. So that's the selection side. As soon as someone joins, you want to seamlessly move in to onboarding them, engaging them, and so on. So giving them feedback on that process, providing useful information. And we like to do that through interactive apps that bring it to life. So you don't have a, a stuffy report, which is the old model. Instead, you've got a view of your way of being, your personality, your emotional intelligence in the palm of your hand and if it's in the palm of your hand and it's also in the palm of the hands of other people in the organization, we've set it up so you can sort of click and overlay the data and look at how Stuart likely to get on with Mark, what are our natural strengths, what are our challenges. So you use this knowledge in development to focus on the relationships between people and not just on you as an individual. So that's a big and interesting innovation in terms of using psychometrics for development purposes. Firstly, the app and secondly, How do we connect with others?
1: I want to make a comment on what you just said so our listener nails it. What you've put together, Dr. Stewart, is a strategy for helping people understand better their work environment, their customer environment from a personality and interaction standpoint. Plus, you've added this capacity to make it stick. The challenge with most psychometric tools that I've worked with is how do we reinforce it? How do we make it sticky? How do we actually get it into play instead of just reverting back to a default position. It doesn't work. And what you've done is added this next level of installation to make sure it actually makes the transformation, and the transformation is permanent.
2: Well done. Well, thank you so much for saying that, because if it's not made practical, in reality, it's not going to happen. So too many tools around are theoretically good, but if they're not interactive and the people perceive them as dull, they won't work with them. So it is about understanding self and connecting with others And it's also about the stickiness. Meaning, do I refer to these concepts and models? Am I aware, just as I'm about to go and see a really difficult stakeholder, have I got a resource in the palm of my hand to think, how can I better connect with them? How can I handle this difficult situation? If you can do that, then you truly are making this technology sticky.
1: And therefore, you're making that competitive adjustment that neither your customers nor your competitors can detect, the powerful stuff. What's the best way for an executive to get started with Luminous sparks, so they can understand what's required for them to get this into their organization and to put something like this into action.
2: The best place to start is by having a really short experience and then a dialogue around the results. So I've learned over the years that if executives want to know about it, you know, we can talk, we can do PowerPoints, we can explain, but actually the best thing to do is to sit down with somebody and with some interactive app technology, have a dialogue with them and create organically in front of them a view of who they are, underneath how they behave at work, how they overextend. And when somebody sees that unfold, then suddenly the practical applications become all the more evident. And it's a combination of The technology in terms of psychology, but also the technology in terms of the apps and the software that we work with. It's those two things blended together that get people excited.
1: How can an executive have that experience with you or your team?
2: Well, I would be uh, delighted if any of the executives wish to have an experience. It's as simple as we'll give you a link to complete the questionnaire. It'll take approximately 15 minutes. And then one of my team will immediately be on the case to talk you through it, to bring it to life in a truly interactive way.
1: So this is a great way for the ICG listener to get acquainted with you and your work and to see how this might provide them with competitive advantage and the ability to bring the right people on board to execute their plans. That's a fantastic offer.
2: And thank you so much for saying that because the dialogue will take us into, well, how can this be applied in terms of how can we make our leaders more engaged? How can they be more self-aware more connected, as you said earlier, with uh, Millennials? How can it support teamwork and the management of stakeholders? These are all the things that we can do with the technology.
1: That's great. I had a conversation just a week ago with an executive and he said, Mark, do I really have to hire millennials? And my response was, only if you want to stay in business. <laughs> Indeed.
2: Yeah. And only if you want to recruit at yeah, all. Yeah. That's, that's it. Have a so fully functioning team.
1: This may help some uh, boomers with a decade left in their career make that transition to actually being able to enjoy the millennial workforce. Personally, I see myself as a millennial in a boomer body. My kids have taught me much about (laughs) being authentic. It's a beautiful thing. And if you can help other executives make that transition to being more authentic, you've done the world a massive amount of good, Dr. Stewart.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, doctor Stuart Stewart-Dessen, for being our guest today. I am certain our listener has walked away with a new view on how to improve their ability to be a successful business that's scalable and sustainable.
2: Thank you so much for everyone's time listening today.
1: That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team, and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.